True Detective premiered on HBO on December 18th, 2014. Let's put one hour on the clock. Pilots study Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode. That means the first show. In case you didn't know. When you never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen and I am your host. And I'm joined, as always, coming to you from the giant gutter in outer space. It's Grimes! That's right. Doing a late night episode, an hour-long beast on uh, quite a show, quite an impactful show for both of us, I think. Chances we get to an hour? <laughs> I don't know, man. This one, we can start getting real McConaughey-like on this shit. We can. We, we can uh, just imagine ourselves on one of those slow Louisiana drives where if, if you just add words like, um, what are some of McConaughey's key words? Like um, evil, uh, soul, uh, fear. If we add any of those words in, we can make... Condition. Oh, yeah, condition. <laughs> we can make anything sound pretty damn good this episode, I think. I, I agree. I'm ready to get into it. This one's pretty meaty. <laughs> um, first up, before we get into True Detective, I know you're on my HBO Now account, so I have, I to, I have to ask you, <laughs> how, how, you how, how are you feeling about those Young Pope trailers, man? They're before like everything you watch, and I don't know, it kind of looks like batshit insane and kind of intriguing to me. I fast forward. No! <laughs> Yeah, I said fuck all that. Isn't Jude Law in there? Is he like a young pope? Jude Law is the young pope, bro. Man, that's that's going to get crazy. Jude Law be fucking. This Just, dude fucks. Oh, yeah. Just imagine Jude Law getting getting a little nasty, smoking some cigarettes, being a nasty-ass pope. That's that's what we're in store for. I'm, I'm more excited about that than I was about revisiting this episode. In the sequel, it's going to be Jason Statham. <laughs> Young Pope 2, Back from the Dead. <laughs> okay, so, we're, of course, we are doing True Detective today. Um, the pilot episode, which is titled The Long, Bright, Dark. <laughs> I can't think of a more uh, um, applicable uh, episode title for this. I, I, want yeah. you, I want you to know that right now I'm drinking coffee in honor of Rustin Cole, who... <laughs> Just pounds coffee to get through that dinner with Marty's family. Uh, I, I guess I didn't know that if you drank three cups of coffee, you would go from shit face to functional in that short of an amount of time. But yeah. I, I respect him. That's a good life tip. <laughs> Just start pounding coffee, especially if you have a family dinner of some sort. So <laughs> I do have some specs for us. Um, Nick Pizzolato, he is the creator of this series. He was the uh, lone writer on season one. That is a, um, a big-time rarity. He was a novelist, and this idea started as... This idea was one of six that he was pitching around town, and this idea actually started as a novel. So, And you can, you can kind of feel that a little bit throughout... Uh, the episodes and the fact that it's an anthology and that it actually has a finish. That's actually, you know, a literary, <laughs> a, a literary device of actually having an ending, um, right. unlike most TV. Um, his previous novel was called 
Galveston, I believe. It was released in 2010. He also wrote on the show The Killing, and he left <coughs> in early season two before it took a big dive, so good on him. Um, they actually didn't pitch the show until both Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson were fully on board. Um, a fun little fact here, McConaughey was actually first brought on for the part of Marty, and he talked them into letting him play Rust. Um, so and after that, they were all pushing to bring Woody Harrelson on. Of course, they're friends. Uh, what movie were they in together? Was it Ed TV? Yes, yes that so. sounds correct. Yeah, I think, I think it was called Ed TV. There was also a show called Ed, wasn't there? There was, and that was bad. Don't you fucking talk down to Ed, you motherfucker. Ed was a piece <laughs> of shit. Who was that other dickhead that had a show that was just his name on NBC? They loved doing that. Uh, Chuck. Chuck. Chuck, yeah, Chuck, Chuck. Uh, the big thing with getting these big actors was that Pizzolatto was very um, adamant about it being an anthology because, and it was very purposeful, because he wanted to get big actors. He knew that a one-season commitment is all he'd be able to get from, say, like a McConaughey or people that had big movies in line. So he really, really wanted to do the anthology and the one-season setup. Um, in terms of writing the series, he said over the summer of 2012, when his family was on vacation, he was locked up in a converted garage in Van Nuys working on the script. He said it took two to three and a half months. Um, it gets hazy but about 500 pages he wrote. He said the walls were covered with post-it notes filled with tiny handwriting. My office looked like something out of a beautiful mind. That was part of the reason why I didn't put together a writer's room. So, mm -hmm. also involved in this series, of course, I mentioned the two big guys, but Kerry uh, Fukunaga directed all eight of the episodes. So you have one writer, uh, one director, Obviously, both of those things are very unique, and he, he went on to have a very interesting Hollywood ride after this. He was attached to um, the revival of It, and he started casting it and everything, and then he dropped out. Um, he directed this movie, Beasts of No Nation, for Netflix. That was the one that had Idris Elba in it. And he's actually he's, he's just dropped out of a lot of projects <laughs> and pair that with the fact that it came out that there was tension between him and Pizzolatto during True Detective season one. And it seems like this guy is kind of like a, obviously a genius, but maybe a, a little uh, intense, I guess would be the right word. Yeah, I remember when this um, came out and you watched it before I did and you were like, well, you should watch it. It's really good. But if you're already depressed, you might want to hold <laughs> off because his shit is dark as hell. It's yeah. very depressed. It's like seeing inside a depressed detective's mind. Yeah. Uh, one one last one, music by T-Bone Burnett, who, of course, has his hands in a lot, worked on Inside Lewin Davis on the music. His hands are in a lot of rock and folk type music. So those are all our specs. Uh, let's get into a little bit of title talk. W what did you think about this intro? And obviously you sent me that Portlandia clip, which I laughed <laughs> at a lot, um, <laughs> that was making fun of this. But uh, did you dig the music choice? Were you a fan of the title sequence? Well, um, as along with T-Bone, old T-Bone, who has yep. like a streak of hits longer than possibly anyone ever, mm. especially this century. But um, the Handsome family wrote the theme, right? So they were recently on WTF. Hmm. Interesting, that was guys. A, it was a good episode. Hmm. Um, and that fact was fact-checked. A lot of my fun facts are not. <laughs> <laughs> People don't know um, that because I cut out your wrong fact last week. I, I just I saved you, bro. 
<laughs> I like this beginning, but it's too long. I mean, Jesus, it's like five minutes long. It's long, yeah. And you know what I've noticed he really likes is he really likes highways. <laughs> oh, so many just lonesome highways. I know. Season season two's intro sequence was literally all highways with that like really, really sad. I can't remember what the music. I think it was like really, really downtrodden music again. But he doesn't have many highways in this intro sequence, but he has them coming out of somebody's head. I think it's Marty Hart. He has like highways for a second. And they're so always that. on the highway. And so. Yes, their action takes place a lot while driving. Um, I, I like how the big names are like literally in like the first three seconds. Don't turn this off. We've got these guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got they, McConaughey and Harrelson yeah. on deck. Yeah, they were right away before anybody else, before it even like shows you basically any imagery. So we have basically a lot of transparent figures, um, case details, scenery within the highways, like I said. Um, we have jellyfish for some reason, spiked heels. <laughs> I, did, I did like the all-American girl in like, the bikini dancing in Woody's head. Uh, kind of uh, hinting at where his character would go. And, of course, they went for the more simple symbolism of fire in Matthew McConaughey's head. So, Just a fire of genius. Yeah, a fireball. A fire twice, actually, in the silhouette of McConaughey. So they weren't uh, shying away from the fact that this guy's got a lot going on upstairs. So that's a little bit of title talk. Let's get to hmm where do we want to go? Let's 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 get to the the uh, structure. I want to talk about the structure. What are your thoughts on the back and forth? Um do you feel like it flows smoother because of that? Would you have uh desired something else? I'm I'm just curious on your thoughts on how they put this thing together. I enjoy the back and forth uh, through time storytelling method. Mm -hmm. Um I think because like the Princess Bride does it, <laughs> and I watched that a lot when I was little, and so that shit stuck with me. But um, it's that's just my on you. that was like my oldest you know reference that I could pull quickly. But it happens a lot, and when it's done well, it's great. And I think they do a good job. And I mean, first of all, like, are there two more likable actors than these two? And they're together, and you just want to. I just want to look at them. It's so. It, Man, this made me hate season two a lot, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Har Harrelson is probably... <sighs> He's like a fail-proof actor. When has that dude done anything shitty? I mean, there has to be something. He, he both has... He has really great selection. He is hideously ugly, but he can play the leading man, which is the greatest compliment I can give a Hollywood actor. But sometimes he's like... It's weird. He really embodies his characters to the point like when he played that soldier he looked like a real soldier you know when he mm -hmm. plays a cop he looks like a cop does it do you feel like he shaves his head for like 75 percent of his roles whenever i picture woody harrelson i picture yeah, a shaved I, head i think he's bald in real life so he yeah. just tries to rock that as much as possible <laughs> is there any way in the script you could write in that i'm bald because right. i don't like wigs <laughs> but yeah I, I like the back and forth i think it shows that uh, these characters have evolved a lot and changed. You can see it, like, really on McConaughey's character yeah, uh, they, physically. They do a really good job um, young, younging, younging him up for those earlier scenes. Yes. Yeah, that is, like, a young... He looks better than young McConaughey. <laughs> uh, I think it allows them to... It really allows them to manipulate time in interesting ways. Like, 
I can't remember what line it was exactly, but all of a sudden we were two weeks later or something like that. Or They were able to jump back and forth depending on where the interrogation of them in the present day was going. So Right, we yeah, were, we it were, referred to that. Yeah, that right. was good. We were able to go to the dinner, see him show up drunk. Then we were able to get back into the murder and get back to the dinner. I mean, if you do that without the interrogation, then it's just scattershot and mm-hmm. you're playing with all these time jumps that you have to explain to the audience. This is the perfect um, explanation for any time manipulation you have to do, which kind of leads me into what, what I want to talk about here. You know, with both this, these interrogation type setups, or I don't know if it's unique to this show, I'm sure they've done it before, and with kind of like the speaking to the camera, because they're literally speaking to the camera in this, um, of like the officer parks and recreation, are we of the feeling that these are easy ways to have exposition dump? Or is it just like a necessary evil in today's type of showmaking? Because I think, you know, I think what we lose is we lose we lose a, a few character moments that would have like allowed us to ease into the intensity of rust or allow allow us to ease into the kind of skeevy the skeeziness of Marty. Instead we kind of get these exposition dumps every five minutes or so so that they don't have to explain it on screen in, in, in the past and creative in a creative manner. <coughs> Right, and I think this would be, again, um, I'm going to say basically everything positive about this show. Yeah. Um, but I think they did a great job with that, too, of because they are being filmed for a reason. They're talking to a right, camera right. because they're being interrogated. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something we should talk about um, clearly in this pilot, but just overarching as TV geniuses. If you're going to do this kind of mockumentary shit, you need to give the audience a payoff, a reason for the filming. Like, British Office, they're making a movie about, like, the fucking office. Same with America. But, like, Parks and Rec, who the fuck are they talking to? Why are they being filmed? They it, never it say, like... It is a little like, strange, yeah. Same with Modern Family. They're just talking to a camera. Apparently, someone's making a movie about the Modern Family in America, but they never say, like... You have to right away, I think, to make that shit legit and not just another one of those. You have to give a reason. And thankfully, it's pretty obvious in this case why they're being filmed and who's asking shit. But, but yeah, they they did um, they did use that trope, which, I mean, is that going away finally? I think. I, I think I think so. I mean, I, I don't see I any. Hope. I don't see any spiritual successor to. Like, not in the comedy field, at least. And I always think back to that Community episode where they made fun of it. And it's this episode where Chevy Chase is in the hospital and Jeff is, like, basically being tricked into thinking he's meeting his dad. And Abed is using it to make fun of those shows while also using it to dump exposition in his own show. Right? So it's a very creative use of the format, but it pokes a lot of holes into why TV people... Um, have relied on it so much for those few years. And I, I guess I, I'm carrying some of those feelings over into this presentation. I think that yeah. they don't they do not do a lot through action, which I think is a little bit of a shortcut, but I also understand why the structure was so appealing to people because you get McConaughey doing those long riffs, cutting up his beer cans, which doesn't happen in the pilot, but everybody knows that scene, and delivering like those just excellent lines like the final one where he's like you yeah. better, better start asking the right fucking questions or whatever 
Yeah, this was McConaughey and, at the go ahead, sorry. At, at like the beginning to middle of the McConaissance that we got in the in yeah. this decade. Like he wasn't a nobody, but he was kind of known as like the douche that will do the weird Sahara movies and then live in a fucking camper and well, he had all some... of a sudden he's in like Dallas Buyers Club <laughs> and this and he wins a fucking Oscar and he's in those weird commercials and Well, he had such a weird career up into that point because he was in he was like regarded as a serious actor with like time, yeah. time to kill and movies like that, and then he just got into this romantic comedy spiral that right. kind of like sucked a lot of the energy and and uh, charisma out of like who he could be, and I think this was just him got it back getting roles again. Like he could always yeah. do this, but it was just him actually being afforded the chance to do it again. But yeah, all of that stuff hit at once. It was like a perfect storm of success for him. Um, so I, that, that was a, a crazy time. And yeah, he won the Oscar and gave that really weird speech and was, yeah. pro- was probably wearing puka shells. I don't know. And I think <laughs> because of that, like we were saying, uh, we were talking earlier, he, a lot of these lines in a rewatch, even just two short years later, he does kind of sound like an asshole. But it's only because we now have had the like the past three years of all those weird speeches and like the Jim Carrey SNL impersonation and yeah, yeah. the Lincoln commercials were very similar to this pilot. Yeah, and I guess that's <laughs> why talking. kind of what you're saying, that build and like how watched this was and kind of how how much of a parody it became that's why like when i go back i can't love it as much as i did on first glance because it almost rings out as like self-parody as in i'm thinking wow it really was like that ridiculous but (laughs) we didn't know because it was so good and new at the time you weren't viewing it with that cynical lens yet it's It's impossible not to now though it's almost like he didn't recognize that reaction that maybe it, it the show tended to be a little over serious at times and the, the character of Russ tended to be a little bit of a blowhard and so he kept doing things like that like the commercials which was a really weird choice yeah like, like Lincoln too like what a fucking weird car yeah. company like any car company would love to have McConaughey I'm certain it's just strange that he did that stuff for Lincoln and it's not often that like a commercial performance can retroactively make a regular performance seem silly, yeah. but it kind of did. It really did. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, just to do a little plot breakdown here, our two detectives are in two timelines. If you did not catch that one is present day. They are being questioned by two other detectives as murders like the one they are investigating in the pilot have begun to happen again and what you kind of get from uh, that interrogation in the present day is that they kind of sort of suspect rust um, might have something to do with it yeah and so they're kind of sort of hinting at that and they hint at that in future episodes and in the past in the in the 1995 presentation the murder occurs on january 2nd and into the third of 1995 they are investigating this um sadistic cult-like uh presentation of a murder um a girl wearing antlers as a crown um with posed in a certain way uh very very planned out and meticulous and that's kind of where we pick the story up. Now, kind of another thing I, I wanted to discuss is, so we've, we've, we've talked about it in terms of like self-parody. <laughs> 
is there like a particular part of this episode where you actually were kind of on board with some of the things he was talking about? Because, you know, when I was watching this, I thought this guy, this guy's kind of like Grimes heavy or you're, yeah. you're kind of like rust light. Did you, um, do you feel like you connect to this character because you do have a little bit of pessimism deep down in the soul there? I do. I definitely connect with him. I think I am him um, uh, with weed instead of alcohol. Because <laughs> if you let, like, if I let myself go there and I just get into like three weeks of drinking, yeah, I'm I'm basically him. <laughs> you know, without like the happy. You just got to find a way to like. I agree with everything he said in the pilot, um, and I like philosophical bullshit, like weird quotes anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's up my alley, but. Yeah, I I think so. I, I definitely, if I'm going to relate to either one of them, it would be him. Like, Woody Harrelson, he's like, I was thinking, so this is 1995. Mm. They appear to be like in their 40s in the show, at least Harrelson's characters. So that means he was born in like 1955. Mm-hmm. That's a drastic jump for like, you know, that's very old school era. And you can tell he's like a traditional family guy, whatever, at least in the pilot. Yeah, he's an all um, he's an all American boy, all grown up and dissatisfied right. with family life. But like when they showed when uh, when he goes, I saw where he lived after a couple of weeks of being with him, and uh, I felt bad for the guy. I'm like, that is exactly what my place would look like if I had my <laughs> own place. Like, no, there would no be a big ass TV. Um, would be yeah. the only difference. But uh, yeah, I, I relate to this man. <laughs> no box spring, just mattress on the floor. Just a straight floor <laughs> mattress. I probably wouldn't even have a sheet, or it would just be all like fucked up. I feel like this show would kind of hit even harder in 2017. Like if this show premiered in 2017, I have this, I have this estimation that it would be heavily loved, only because the pessimism in our nation and in the world is so strong right now. Lines like "Stop reproducing," "Walk hand in hand into extinction," "One last midnight," <laughs> and then uh, Marty says, "Why get up?" The real answer is that it's obviously my programming. Like, I feel like we're going to get a lot of that philosophical bullshit for the next four years. And this guy would slide right in there as a universe hater 101. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of prescient, isn't it? Like, we are at a place where, you know, like, I don't know, we're both married and neither one of us is on the kid bandwagon and I'm fucking old. Yeah. No, we really, like, young people, I think... identify with that stop reproducing line like it's kind of sad enough is enough you know we have a lot of people in the world maybe like not every one of us needs to have three kids and not wear condoms so i I don't i agreed with that at least yeah and it's just a having a sense of being part of a global community as opposed to like uh in one part harrelson or no mcconaughey says it's like these people live in a bubble that they might as well be living on the fucking moon you know in these small towns that well there you go who do you think voted like for trump so Mm -hmm. if if you only see yourself as you know what's good for me my life my pickup truck my trailer my little weird job at the dollar store in louisiana my cult that murders people (laughs) i don't know it just seems like younger people and in this case mcconaughey just see the big picture a little bit whereas Harrelson's about getting the job done and being a good cop. Mm-hmm. Russ doesn't give a fuck about being a good cop. It's clear. You know, anymore. We're having obviously 
bigger discussions about this episode sparked by his discussion, but Marty is not having it. And that's what really makes the pilot sing. It's those conversations between the two. And it's lines like, when you're in my house, I want you to chill the fuck out. Yeah. And you know, people have said shit like that to me too, especially if we're drinking, they'll be like, all right, dude, now don't start one of your things. Right. Right. You've um, probably said that. No, no. McConaughey says, in philosophical terms, I'm what's considered a pessimist. It means I'm bad at parties, (laughs) Marty. Let me tell you, you're not great outside of parties. So I I dug that as well. (laughs) There was a little bit of humor in here and at at spots. I mean, between those two. I wouldn't go around spouting that shit I was you. People around here don't think that way. I don't think that way. I think the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming. Stop reproducing. Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. So, what's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? I tell myself I bear witness. The real answer is that it's obviously my programming. And I lack the constitution for suicide. My luck, I picked today. To get to know you. Three months, I don't hear a word from you. and You asked. Yeah. And now I'm begging you to shut the fuck up. Yeah, I think a lot of it, a lot of the discussion in this episode has to center around those car, those car conversations and kind of how deep down the rabbit hole he want the creator wanted us to get immediately. Like this is a show that you have to engage with on the highest level. Um, in terms of the clues that they're presenting right away, in terms of the relationships that they expect you to understand, and in terms of those big ideas that you know he expects he expected commenters and bloggers to write about, and I think they did. That I'm watching this show right now, and this relates to the dinner scene. I'm watching this show right now called Broadchurch. It's a uh, David Tennant is the lead guy. He was a Doctor Who um, okay. back in the day, but he's very very good. He was also in Jessica Jones as the baddie. And they have that scene. They have the partner meeting the family scene. And it seems like all these like hard-boiled cop shows use that yeah. as some sort of comedic relief. Lethal Weapon started that shit. Yeah, they use it as this kind of comedic relief to interject between the murder investigations, this humanizing of whoever the rough character is. And in Broadchurch, they more so play into that, that template. He brings wine, flowers, and chocolates because he can't, he can't decide which one. So he brings all three, and that's the joke. Here, they, <laughs> they don't follow that template. Pizzolatto uses it to pile drive Rust further into the metaphorical ground. Like, at this comedic moment, he shows up drunk. He talks about his kid dying. He talks about his divorce. In it's front like, of little kids. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like this is the point in usual cop shows where the tone is lightened. Here, Pizzolatto's like, no, fuck that. We are talking about not reproducing. We are talking about Earth being a gutter. And guess what? I'm going to take this scene and I'm going to give it the saddest possible touch I can give it. I guess I do respect the full commitment to darkness in this thing. Yeah, me too. And it stays intense throughout. Like, it never lightens up. No, it really... Well, you know what? The last scene of the first season is a very um, hopeful scene, but it's still at night with them being, with them damaged. And and you don't feel a sense of, like, okay, everybody, like, it's all good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Without trying to spoil. 
another another line I enjoyed was her body is a paraphilic love map. I was actually gonna, <laughs> I was actually going to use that for your intro. I was going to say his body is a paraphilic love map, but uh, <laughs> I figured you'd take that the wrong way. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. That was a good one. There's so many lines. I tried to, <clears throat> you know, I didn't know if we were just going to do a straight McConaughey line or Rama at all, but <laughs> we can. Do you have any more? Um, let's let's just, well, let's the, do a general linearama right now. All right, because I I got I started out with a Harrelson one. You get that from one of your books. That's like a common <laughs> thing. Like a smart boy, we talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like. Uh, I just want you to stop saying odd shit. Like you smell a psycho's fear. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's all one ghetto, man. A giant gutter in outer space. <laughs> I love that. Like all one ghetto, man. You gotta you gotta admire his creativity when describing dark situations i mean it takes a lot to really sink yourself into that uh no pun intended gutter um that deep i i do i do respect how committed he was i like i don't sleep i just dream that's yeah that that's was a, a pretty good one. that's a pretty dark one i like um let's see yeah i got one well you already said start asking the right fucking questions uh my last one is on my off days i start drinking at at noon you don't get to interrupt that (laughs) that Uh, is badass like oh man that's that's pretty good uh the reverend tuttle when he shows up there's a reverend and the governor their first cousins both tuttles um key points for later in the series he said there's a war happening behind things all right (laughs) yeah what was that about i think he meant it was like them coming after or satanists coming after uh christ loving individuals i believe i that, did want to talk about war. that for a second too go ahead like in the 80s and 90s growing up i remember there would be like so i would get home from school at three give or take mm-hmm. and i remember commercials about like satanic shit like anti-satanism commercials like little psas and shit that the mormon mm-hmm. church would run First of all, I don't know why they're running them in Western PA because there's zero Mormon population there that I know (laughs) of. But yeah, like it was the fear of Satanism was a hundred times worse than any kind of popularity that actual Satanism had. But it was such this like yeah, who who is like the occult was like a big thing. Like Like, everything (laughs) was the fucking occult. I know it was like a a plot line on Silicon Silicon Valley for jokes. But who actually is like a Satanist? I don't think I've met yeah. one, been in the no. vicinity of one. Like, there's people that it's it's atheism, or you believe in God, or you right, believe in right. a God, right? It's I I don't think we there's as many Satanists as Christians uh, would lead you to believe. No, I think there are probably you know <laughs> a thousand Satanists in America, and right. they all are just heavy online together. <laughs> They're also all juggalos. Yeah, yeah, it's not, and I mean, like, real Satanism isn't about, like, antlers and horns and tattoos, it's just, like, wanting to fuck everybody and not follow rules and shit, like, I think it's just people wanting to, excuse to bang each other. It's about hanging out and, uh, drinking, drinking the dew, drinking the coffee. Oh man, don't curse my dew, bro. (laughs) Only Satanists drink dew. It is fucking satanic, though. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up is Marty still rocks his class ring. What do you think that says about yeah. his character? That, um, that's interesting, so glad isn't you it? mentioned that, too, because it's uh, one of the reviews that I'll mention later talks about how it showed like how they had aged, and clearly he uh, was divorced because you saw no ring there um, during the interrogation scene. You know what? 
No, I think I did see a ring in the. But you see the class ring. Oh, that's the class ring. Yeah, it's on okay. his other hand. So oh. um, that is interesting. But yeah, fuck a class ring too. Like who? <laughs> when did that stop? Because I know like my cousin, he's probably five years older than me. He rocked like a class of whatever Greenville High School mm-hmm. ring, and I was like, that is fucking dumb. I don't give a shit about this place. Did like you, did, I don't want jewelry on me. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> fun. I was probably as much of a nerd as him. It's just more like. Why would I want jewelry of like jail on me? I hated that place. Like it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird like thing to actually buy and wear and everything, but I think it's a key detail for him because again, he like you said and that's a very good point that he comes out of the out of like the 50s. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm really really glad you brought that up because obviously the world was this idealized place when he would have been growing up as a teenager and rocking the class ring and Still marry your high school sweetheart all that yeah keeping in touch with your high school friends like i'm sure that was very much like a badge of honor um to show that you were part of like a group like that and it's interesting that he still wears it and even still wears it in the present so and i think until the 70s it wasn't really a given that people would graduate high school it was kind of something to be proud of maybe at one point I, I, I guess we don't exactly know what period he grew up in. I don't want to say it was like an idealized America of like a war, right. if a war was going on. Right, <laughs> but I mean, we can guess based on, you know, context clues that he was yeah. probably born sometime in the mid to late 50s and McConaughey right, right. maybe 10 years later. They paint him as like, if, Le- if Leave it to Beaver grew up, was rocking his class ring and happened to be a police officer. And then his partner was Kurt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's like Johnny Unitas and Kurt Cobain in a buddy comedy. Okay, here's a little game for you. If Kanye is the Rust, who is his Marty? Like who? Um, I was about to say the same <laughs> thing. Sean Sean Carter, Kanye West, True Detective season three. Give it to us. Oh shit. Or or John Legend, Kanye West, True Detective season three, and they're investigating the murder of Donald Trump. okay so michelle monaghan we haven't mentioned her yet and that probably is a confirmation of all the complaints when this show is out about how it doesn't focus on women Uh, that was a definite complaint Uh, she shows up 25 minutes in always a good sight like when she's in something i'm always in i love i love that she's rocking a torn up french quarter shirt another like nice pick by the costume department i thought that um, identified the location again for those that missed it, but was also just cool looking. Um, let's see. Oh, I also wanted to do a little random rolls with her. This is a new feature that we introduced. We pick one person out of the cast, and we, we focus on basically one movie or TV show that they did. Um, I guess it's not really random, but it's one that I want to talk about. And so Michelle Monaghan was in a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ah, uh, yeah. You, great you, movie. Have you seen this? Downey and um, yeah. Kilmer. Downey and Kilmer when Kilmer was still taking care of himself. Yeah. Like, and funny. Yeah, pre-fat. Pre-fat. Um, I think after MacGruber is when like it all went downhill. Yeah, I don't know. Like he disappeared for like around Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That was one of his last like. It's weird because that uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I know, and Heat was obviously way before it, but Heat was like. Like big time shit, and so was uh, him taking on the Batman mantle. He was, yeah. I was gonna say this motherfucker was Batman. Fuck Heat. 
you know, like, you know, whenever like an actor is in like a ton of big movies and is really good, I always think like if they just if they disappear, it's because either they're an asshole or they're crazy. Like either they're like so bad to have on set that people literally won't cast them and they have a <laughs> terrible reputation or they just went off the deep end. I always like to think that maybe they just made enough money in there in like Montana really? with Letterman hanging out. Yeah, but why wouldn't you want to? I don't know. I feel like if this is their passion, like if they're yeah. like performers, you know, why are they doing? Huge but me and you that? are passionate about it. Some people are just really good looking, and they're L.A. adjacent. And they're like, "Hey, you <laughs> look pretty cool. Why don't you be on this TV show, Johnny Depp?" And then next thing you know, you're making a billion dollars being on fucking Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't think they're all passionate, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. And it's okay. probably hard to maintain that level of passion when you're, you know, I don't know. It's kiss, Life kiss. is long, dude. We'll get back to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Cause I, I, I wanted to bring that up because one, it's a, a really good Christmas movie that you should definitely watch around Christmas. Um, I believe Robert Downey gets um, is robbing like a toy store or something for Christmas at the very beginning. And uh, it was Downey's comeback. It was like yeah. that and Iron Man served as his big comebacks after rehab and all that. I would just I would recommend everybody go out, get Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and check that out for the holidays. Just uh, so we're clear here, and if people know, Robert Downey Jr. was once arrested driving a like Ferrari <laughs> butt ass naked down Hollywood Boulevard wait, with the wait, top wait, down. Wait, wait. And a forty-five pistol. Is this a Jennifer Carpenter situation? Am I going to have to delete this? No, this is this is not a false prophet scenario. Like did this you, is. Did you hear this? I, did you hear this on a WTF that did not? This exist? was Downey's words, like on Stern. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, he was on Stern, like promoting Iron Man three. It was yeah. one of the best interviews ever. He's been on Stern a couple um, times. One of them was yeah, he him, loves him. him talking about his birthday party. Have you heard that interview? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one too. Okay, let's do some uh, let's let's do so, some random notes. I'll let you go first. All right. Well, random notes. I love that uh, at one point in the interrogation, Marty talks about the types of detective, mm. like the types of cop. You've got your bully, your charmer, your surrogate dad, your man pressed by ungovernable rage, <laughs> your brain, and then he says he's just a regular type dude with a big ass dick. Mm. And I wonder about that, like, um, I just watched the Kevin Hart special, and it's pretty Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Dude, you know I consume all comedy. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning here. Is this the one that came out in theaters? Yeah. Grimes, yeah. you're really putting what me now? in, a, you're really putting now, me in a, a Russ Cole-type hole right now. In the past two days, I've discovered that Kevin Hart special <laughs> and a 21 Pilots song that I really like. Basic. Oh, <laughs> you know, you're, I'm I'm about to be killed by modern vinyl people. They're if, gonna be like, if we were this. if we were in close proximity and I could like come over for dinner and you told me those two facts, I would show up to dinner as Russ Cole did in this episode. You would Dexter me. You'd be like, "What the fuck's wrong with you?" Twenty One Pilots. Uh, I mean, Kevin hey, Hart. really? Like, it's no big oh. deal. My favorite band is Dave Matthews. Uh, <laughs> I love Miller Lite. Your your favorite band is not Dave Matthews. That's my favorite mind. band is Foxing, I think, right now. But mm. That's a good anyway, I just really like that. Um, it was funny. Oh yeah. So anyway, Kevin Hart, you got me way off my train okay, of thought, go dude. Ahead, you, go ahead, you got go. me all defensive. Sorry. So what were we talking about? You're talking about how you have the worst taste in everything. <laughs> in everything. All right. Oh yeah. So on PC shit. All right. So he says he has a big ass dick. 
And like, I wonder if now, you know, obviously the tone of our country is pretty cynical and dark and there's this backlash against anything that's perceived as like decent or yeah. polite. So like you said before, I just think that this, if it did come out now, that was one thing I noticed that that nobody would bat an eye at that. Whereas maybe, you know, during Obama's first term when we were all like holding hands and shit, somebody might have been like, ooh patriarchy yeah we're about to go into a real fucking dark period bro yeah if people think it's like bad now and your fucking safe space is being triggered like just wait two years when the goddamn world is ending everybody's like, like on their knees praying for the electoral college guys they they don't have any agency yeah <laughs> so now if now that i anyway. say that they're gonna vote against him and we're gonna be fucking celebrating in the streets but anyway, um, since you're letting me do the reviews this week, I know we usually do it by the end, but we were talking about Michelle Monaghan, so I just want to read a little bit from IGN. Is it Monaghan like, or Monaghan? I think I was mispronouncing I say I say Monaghan because I like love <laughs> the band Train, and I know that the yeah, singer's name is yeah. Pat Monaghan. This is literally the <laughs> second pilot that we've done with her. We also did The Path, and I still can't pronounce her name. Well, I mean, she's probably going to tweet at us and fuck. tell us to go fuck ourselves. If she came but... on this podcast, um, I would... I, I would just let her about. berate you for being <laughs> so stupid. That's that's our what's our dream guest? It's her, right? Please tell me it's her. Um, I mean John Ham. <laughs> her, John Ham, and Kanye to talk the Lost Pilot. Yeah. That that's that's it right there. That's what we need. That would be good. You know, we could probably get somebody from that pilot. From like, what pilot? Mad Men? No, Kanye. Or Kanye's. Yeah, somebody would talk to us about it. Maybe. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> but that would be the show's biggest weakness, I guess. Like in IGN, they're like, judging from the first few episodes, um, Michelle, Maggie, Hart's wife, hits the checklist of cop-wife tropes. Yeah. Um, grousing about his long days. Why aren't you nice to your buddy there? Um, like, because she uncovers right away that he has reasons for his weird philosophical bullshit. Mm-hmm. He didn't even bother to ask, man. So that was one review that I found Men. pertinent. Jesus. Men do suck, especially whites. <laughs> You're really not uh, lying here. But, yeah, what are the random notes? Uh, just start, just start railing them off, man. I already mentioned that the handsome family who wrote the theme song and performed it. Um, I don't know if it's throughout the whole first season, but it was on WTF. Really good episode. Uh, a a okay. little-known podcast that's kind of like our little brother. Right. We want to help Mark Marin. I know that he's struggling right now, and we're clearly winning. He wishes he could get 200 <laughs> downloads. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cigarettes. Pretty cool. This shit shows like this and Mad Men make me really want to smoke. I like want to go by and smoke and watch the rest of this season now. Great. A great model for the kids out there. But yeah, Another it, thing. It, it does make it look pretty rad. Especially McConaughey. You just yeah. got your six-pack of fucking Lone Star Tall Boys, and you're, you just don't give a fuck. You know he's he's knocking off a cigarette while he's knocking up some strippers. The South is weird as fuck. I've now lived here twice. And <laughs> I guess Northern Virginia, I know, is not the South, but it's more the South than where I grew up. And now I'm in the real South, and it is totally crazy down here. A lot of the shit they say is true. The liberal media is not lying when they say people down here are crazy. Mm-hmm. And shit, like, sex crimes happen because people are repressed. And the more religious people are, the more repressed they are. So I think Damn, that son. is one of the one of the big-ass themes in this show. So 
Shot, shots fired at the organized shots religion. Shots fired at the patriarchy and organized religion. <laughs> shots fired at the young pope, bro. I might as well just fire a shot at the mirror because I'm like, you know, the white man who grew up in church. But young, I don't do young, this kind young, of Young pope does not approve of this. No. But other than that, I don't know. The only other thing, I like the tax man as his nickname because he carries a big-ass ledger and takes a lot of notes. The last random note I have, and we still have some time, so don't get excited. I mean, um, I have a whole <laughs> bunch of notes as well. So once, yeah, you're, once uh, you're done, I'm gonna go on a straight roll, bro. Well, I don't know if this is a good segue or something we want to talk about the end and come back to, but just the fall from season one to season two and, and how we think that happened. <laughs> but let's hear some yeah. of your random notes first that we can maybe expand upon. I have a theory on that, but yeah, but I'll, I'll do this. Okay, so. His files are shut or redacted. I did. I quite enjoyed <laughs> that, that his files are redacted. Um, okay. A great, there's a, this really great shot of him walking through the tall grass. It was, it's one of the most memorable moments of this pilot. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, it's, oh, you already said this, but uh, I love the it's all one ghetto man line. That's, yeah. pr- that's pretty great. Uh, their boss is Ben from Veep. He also had a role in The Night Of, so uh, lots of HBO for him. His name is Kevin Dunn. He was also in Luck, the show that was canceled because all the horses died. Um, oh, so no. Yeah, so he has been in a lot of HBO stuff, and he's really, really good in VP. I think he, I think he got an Emmy nomination this year, but he's like always on the cusp of that. Um, Marty, at one point, is asked about Rust, and he makes the choice to keep him on the murder. He stands up for him. Um, yeah. Not sure why, but maybe he just doesn't want to cross him because he doesn't like fully understand him yet. But I thought that was interesting. I thought he would have he would have backstabbed him at the very the very first time he could. I uh, think his curiosity was piqued by his wife at dinner. Yeah. He was like, "I'm going to be nice now." Yeah. Um. You know, one crucial thing about understanding this show and kind of how it progressed is that it was probably one of the most theorized and overpicked programs in recent memory on the level of Lost. You know, the symbols, the cave painting-like constructions with the sticks was something that people latched onto. And I I really tried to remember why it became like a supernatural expectation. Like everybody thought that this was going to be a supernatural ending, right? They thought it was going to be some kind of monster or that the Yellow King, who they kind of refer to in this pilot, they say that, the Dora Lang character who was murdered went to join a king, right? And that, of course, is the Yellow King. And, and they have, like, that creature drawing, right, at one point of who the, yeah. little, who the little girl saw. So I think, like, the supernatural stuff came from the drawing. Um, it came from something else, too. Yeah, we, we, get, we get a quick shot of the creature. Um, we get the little girl being chased through the woods. Um, so there, there were, like, little things that... Um, kind of hinted at supernatural, but it was really cult, like through and through, and it ended up being cult. So I don't know why everybody thought like a big monster was going to show up. <laughs> well, because this is almost overpicked, and it made the finale a letdown to people because it wasn't some like insane ending. Well, like Lost, there's so many unanswered things still, yeah. and so many things you you start to believe that everything means something. And then you read a blog and you read the comments. You're like, yes, this is good. And also it's it's much more comfortable, especially in a very uncomfortable situation like the show where you have like sex and violence and all this shit. Depression. Mm-hmm. Like 
it's it's easier to hope it's a monster instead of knowing that like it's just shitty humans like in the earth is really just the gutter <laughs> uh yeah the uh there's a drop-in from uh, lester freeman from the wire uh, pops up as the preacher he's also been in a ton of hbo stuff so they have a little family of actors that they use over and over again i like how they use hurricane rita as an excuse for talking to yeah. the guys when really it's cover for suspecting rust um McConaughey is really good at diverting eye contact at the right moments. Like when he asks the one woman to get drinks so that he can ask the other for pills, he's not looking yeah. at her. When he's talking about his family, when he's philosophizing, he's not looking at them. There's certain choices there that I think is really important for the overall development. And I, one, one last thing, I really enjoy The Office in this episode like the office is a really great setup the fluorescent lights give it like this haze i guess Mm -hmm. it's this really weird haze the desks are literally i was watching this at work and the desk was like the exact same so i could like actually (laughs) like touch it and like be like okay all right so i can talk about this now they're suitably shitty um yeah they're like they're really really sturdy like you you couldn't take these apart if you tried and they're kind of made of like it's like metal backings and like metal anchors, but I'm trying to remember what material the desk is made out of, but it's just really unattractive. <laughs> it's and just an institutional drab piece yeah. of nothing. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's about it. They set up a 10-year gap of them not communicating in the interrogation scene. Sorry. I yeah, can, there's, clearly some, there's clearly some incident that occurred... Yeah. Um, in O2. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the boys haven't spoken. The uh, the other thing that really led to everybody thinking it was supernatural is that the scene with Dora Lang's ex-husband where he says that she went off to become a nun and she met a king. Like I think people took that and really ran with it too. It was like it was overpicked to the point where like when that finale came around and it was kind of sort of like normal police proce- procedural stuff, they're like fuck this. <laughs> It was like, I want it like a monster. I want it like something insane or like a different dimension or like something wild. So Right. You want like the uh, the video game boss to come out and you want yeah. McConaughey and Harrelson <laughs> to shoot him and win. Really, really, there was a video game boss at the end. It just wasn't like an exciting figure. Right. So, right. But it was it was good. I don't want obviously I won't spoil it. Um, you know, one last thing I wanted to bring up. I don't know if they're really good at casting on this show. And I think that's going to be a problem if they take it into season three. Like, first they want McConaughey for the Marty role, which he doesn't fit at all. Like, he's not, right. you can never see him as a family man. So literally the only masterstroke they've had in casting was something McConaughey convinced them to do. Then they cast Vince Vaughn, who is... Good material, but not exactly the greatest fit. And so they, now we're talking about the the downfall, the decline yeah. from season one to two. And, yeah. then, and then they cast Taylor Kitsch, and that whole storyline was a disaster. So that was so bad. That was the worst to me. Yeah, and and then they only get Harrelson because he's friends with McConaughey. Have they casted like an actual good role that wasn't gifted to them? think so no i don't i mean Farrell, the mcadams Colin role fine. She, she's good two. she's good yeah. yeah and Farrell's pretty good but kind of an obvious choice for a brooder like i hope that they kind of Farrell has just god every time i see colin Farrell now and i hate to say this because i lo- like in bruges is one of the best fucking movies on that. netflix like so good 
But every time I see him, even I think about like he had a little character arc on a couple episodes of Scrubs at one point. It was just oh, yeah, awful. Yeah. And it, now when I see him, it's bad. Like I'm like, this is gonna be shitty because I will say Colin he, Farrell. they couldn't get somebody else, so they got him. I will say he's had a little bit of a role in 2016. I'm a bigger Colin Farrell fan than you are. Shit, he hello. Was, are you there? Fuck fifty six. Grimes. Hey, love. what's up? You there? Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? It cut out around 56.30. Yeah, I'm here. All right, we're good. Um, he's had a pretty good run in 2016. I'm much higher on him than you are. Uh, he was good in The Lobster. If you haven't seen The Lobster, I'll check that out. And it's not a family movie, so don't try to do that. And he was actually good in the new Harry Potter movie. He was really the highlight of that movie. So I, 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 well, I, I love I like him. Colin he's, Farrell. He's good in stuff. He, it just seems like he's really good in like the less known stuff and then when he gets these big like things you're like oh man hmm. like true detective right right i just didn't love him in it All i right. love him i just didn't love him in that yeah okay let's wrap and the story was so dumb yeah it was really bad <laughs> uh let's wrap it up what other do you have any other reviews you want to read yeah 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 so i'll do the usual our um overlords the av club who i think have reviewed every goddamn piece of media and pop culture on earth. You can't think of something and there's not an AV Club review of it, um, even episode by episode. So anyway, the pull from that review for me would be that uh, Russ' philosopher act would be too much to take if McConaughey wasn't such a pro himself. Pizzolatto's dialogue is showy, but the actor's brittle delivery restores its sense of grit. McConaughey grinds every camel he lights into Russ' voice, granting the admitted realist enough gravitas to duck hard-boiled cliche. And that was written by our friend, uh, where's their name? Sorry, Eric Adams from the AV Club. I don't remember who wrote the IGN thing because I already closed the window. Screw them. And the last one I saw was, <laughs> sorry, shouts out, IGN. Um, and then the last one was from Vulture. Um... There, this one was just about humor and the big-ass dick joke. Uh, during his own 2012 questioning, Cole pushes investigators' patience to its limits by insisting on smoking and fetching them to get a six-pack. He's like Buster bargaining for grilled cheese sandwiches in exchange for intel on arrested development. Only Cole actually knows what his counterparts don't, and his tiresome demands are deadly serious. Uh, relatively muted as the dialogue is, Stories with opposing personalities seeking common ends will happen upon awkward humor. And I think that um, by Kenny Herzog sums up their, the humor between Rust and Marty pretty well. Very good. All right. We're literally like almost at an hour. So We nailed this shit. We did it. We talked basically this pilot up and down. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We're in the middle of what we're calling Murder Month. Um, and this is in honor of Donald Trump murdering our democracy. Right. So. Murdering my fucking heart and soul, what was left of it, which was at, like, Russ Cole levels, let's be honest. It, yeah, it was, I mean, those those following days, I'm pretty sure you talked about uh, uh, digging a hole to China. And I had to tell you that that's not possible and you just wouldn't take a no for an answer. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how far you got before you gave up. But anyways... Yeah, so Murder Month is kind of going along with our current environment. And, of course, last time we did... What show did we do last time? Dexter. Dexter. 
Uh, we got True Detective, and we've got a couple more really good ones for you in December. Also a great match for the holiday just, season. Just in time for Christmas. Yep, just in time for Christmas. You'd think we would do, like, Christmas TV movies. No. We're, we're fuck far... the Grinch. Fuck yeah. Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah. Fuck your dumb childhood and all your nostalgia. It's over. It's a wrap. <laughs> get, get with Russ Cole and um, stop reproducing. We will talk to you guys later. Thank you, Grimes, for joining me. Thank you. This has been Pilot Study, episode number 40? I think so. Episode number 40. Four zero. We are almost eight more episodes in the in the season, so keep keep on supporting, and thank you guys for listening. Thanks. My question is, how could it be him? If we already caught him in 95. How indeed, detectives? I figured you'd be the one to know. And start asking the right fucking questions. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh. Bummer.